0: To the official Tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray, and we are here with an American tennis legend, a global tennis legend, one of my favorite people on the tour, one of my favorite people to drink with, one of my favorite people to actually coach against. Because she can talk trash and not take it personal, and give it back to you, Coco Vandeweghe.
1: Here, here I am. Here welcome I am. To,
0: <laughs> welcome. <laughs> to, so, so the tennis world misses you, and let me tell you how I know the tennis world misses you. Right now, every time someone loses, they hug like their best friends.
1: Yeah, I I don't I don't get it. I I. Did not grow up in that era of anyone liking each other ever I mean there was a select for you that maybe you had like not I wouldn't say like but at least respect for um but yeah the locker room environment was a lot different with the the Sharapovas the Kuznetsovas the Yankoviches, the Ivanovich I mean you you name it we had the drama in the locker room so it's very different to see the Yeah, everyone had a good tournament and everyone had a good match. Let's hug it out. It's just, it's weird to me.
0: (laughs) I know. It's kind of like, no, I want to win. You know what I mean? It was kind of like really weird to be, it's hard to be happy. For me as a competitor, it's hard to be happy for the opponent that won and went on to make probably 100 grand more because they won another round. Right? And it was like, eh, and got more ranking points in in a sport where like, the worse you do, the actually better I do. Like if you lose points and you don't defend points, I actually can move up being at home. So I'm kind of incentivized to root against you. But in this time, it's like we hug it out. We're happy for the opponent. We're wishing them good luck. I'm kind of like, no, fuck you like I'm mad I lost. You know what I mean?
1: I mean, I could see it like maybe like an hour or two later, like after you've calmed down and maybe like, you know, had had the post-match meal or something but like straight afterwards I, I remember it so distinctly I had there's like this zoom in on my face after I lost to Venus in the semis of Australia I'm like stone-cold pissed, right like, stone-cold pissed. and it's like I have the utmost respect for V and and like you know it was a three-set match so like nothing like I didn't get spanked or anything but like I was like pissed off like I lost I lost the opportunity to play for a grand slam like why would I be happy about this right. what do I like congrats me but like I don't give a crap like at all about you right now I'm freaking pissed
0: right so so I don't know what anybody else listening but I miss that I miss like the cheer <laughs> especially from women because you know like girls are like we sort of raise girls to like play nice play each other's hair share that kind of thing and I'm kind of like no, I kind of screw that like try to kill her you know what I yeah. mean like, yeah, go yeah. at it like because boys we teach we give them one ball and we teach them to fight over it. But the girls, we gotta play nice. So I get a little bit of like old school sexism when I see like the people playing nice, you know what I mean? So I just, I, I remember I remember this on the Coco days where she's cracking a racket and giving like <laughs> an ice cold handshake. I mean, ice cold handshake.
1: I never gave dead fishes, but I certainly would squeeze a little bit harder at, on certain people than like others. But the dead fish was like never a, a go for me. I couldn't do that. But my mom raised me just differently. I mean, she, I was part of the the group of girls that uh, I have a younger sister. So like the two of us, if we were crying and there was no blood, there'd be she'd give us something to cry about. So that's kind of why like I, I'm a rough and tumble kind of person, not not like soft and be nice. Like. I, I hated dolls
0: anyway. <laughs> so you got the famous last name. Every other day someone asked me, oh, is Coco Vandeweghe Kiki Vandeweghe's daughter? I'm like, no, niece-ish. Coco, you know, Kiki had a sister, right? That kind of thing. Tell me about sort of your journey in tennis. Because when I think about your, your relatives, I think about basketball, I think about swimming. And looking at your, your height and your build, you could have been either one. How did you fall <laughs> into this sport?
1: Well, I actually loved basketball. I um, was, uh, I made it all American actually. Um, so I was pretty good, but I was just, I realized I played in the um, all American game and it definitely was a different group of girls coming in from, you know, closer to, to downtown San Diego and some of the LA chicks. And I'm like, whoa, I'm not, I'm not like this kind of level. Like, it was these girls play. AAU, they play, you know, for their school, me, I just like play pickup and with my older brother and like join my school team. And then otherwise I was playing tennis. So it was like a secondary sport to me, but I loved playing. My mom, uh, tried to get me to stop playing basketball a lot earlier. And, um, I would sneak with my grandfather because my grandparents lived with me. So I was raised by my two grandparents and my mom. And my grandfather would sneak me out to go make the basketball game against my mom's wishes. So I was definitely a a rebel going to play basketball. And then I had one bad season that like girls just didn't pass me the ball because I was missing practices for tennis and tennis practices for basketball. But, you know, catty catty chicks and they just stopped (laughs) passing me the ball. And I was like, well, screw this. I don't need this. I can go play tennis. Like, why would I care about playing basketball and have to deal with teammates and and all those other, like, catty nonsense issues that go along with it.
0: And then how'd you evade swimming? Because your mother was a great swimmer. <laughs> yeah, and... she
1: was a she was an Olympian in, in swimming uh, in 76 with the East German chicks, um, and she gave me every opportunity to try any sport I wanted, along with trying music, plays, and, and wherever I fell into, because my grandmother's also Miss America and was on Broadway, so, like, I have a plethora of like things I I have avenues into as far as like what my family has done and who's kind of involved in what. And my mom just said I was a terrible swimmer, like uh, just bad. (laughs) And she, she was not, she was not unhappy that I, I did not pick up swimming, but she fell in love with tennis after her own sporting career. She went to New York and went into broadcasting and she broadcasted in the NBA as a sideline reporter in the after, um, after, you know, game kind of wrap up and, and she fell into tennis, just being in New York and, and playing and, and picking up a different sport to keep in shape. And so she always dreamed of me going into tennis and how she did that was made my older brother go play. Cause I just wanted to do everything he did. So that's how I ended up in tennis.
0: Uh, so you take Olympic swim Olympian jeans, right? Swimming jeans. You take basketball jeans and you put them on a tennis court with the guy named Guy Fritz, <laughs> who is for those who don't know, the father of Taylor Fritz, right? So he basically, you were like his guinea pig so he could make like a top ten ATP player,
1: yeah, in, in a way, I mean, like he I've known Taylor since he was eight years old. So my older brother and I babysat him, like you know, got him all the pizza and everything like that when we were teenagers and probably too young to be babysitting, but whatever. Two of us were, were better than one. And I grew up going you know, down the road to Guy's house and, and practicing serves or watching Amber Liu, Michael Chang's wife hit, cause she's from San Diego too. He would call me up and be like, Amber's hitting, come watch. Um, and he, was, he actually was really good for me because he spoke my mom's language which was being an old school Olympian where they would rip you out of a pool and hit you with a kickboard if you weren't swimming fast enough and (laughs) missed a hating and not that guy hit me with a kickboard or anything, but like I got tossed off the court more times than not. Um, But he, I mean, he taught me discipline. He sent me to Jose Higuera's spot in Palm desert, which I hated. I was not an Academy kid. I loved being home. I loved going to school and um, but he was just like, you know, kids are actually taking this seriously. You're off playing basketball or, you know, hanging out at school all day. These kids are doing this all day, tennis 24 seven. And I was like, I don't care. I'm pretty good. So I can I can do it the way I'm doing it. Like, you know, an hour a day and just kind of <laughs> screwing around. And then I found out it wasn't quite enough. So um, you had to see it to believe it. But Guy kind of could speak my mom's language, which helped me in order to speak my language.
0: Mm. Well, I will say, Playing other sports as a as a female does help you develop athletic skills that tennis doesn't teach you, right? Oh, absolutely. Above the head dexterity. I mean, like the the worst thing on the planet is to teach a girl how to serve, right? So it's kind of like (laughs) literally they've got no. I mean, always this is just a true story. The girls come to the sport having never used their non dominant hand, where boys are using their non dominant hand to play baseball. To play basketball, to do all types of things, and we're trying to get a girl to toss a ball with her non-dominant hand to a perfect spot every time. And they're like, "Well, I can barely write in cursive with my dominant hand." Now you want well, me? Well,
1: I'm, a- I'm ambidextrous, so I can I can do any sort of tricks and trades. I I always say that all my drinking games I play left-handed. So <laughs> like intricate like movements. Um, I bowl left-handed. I used to write in school left-handed, but they switched me to right. And I do all my swings lefty, and I can throw a spiral with both hands. So I've I've just grown up in an environment with, uh, especially my grandfather. Um, he played in the NBA also in the 50s while going to medical school mm. um, in Columbia. So you know, big big wig out there before Kiki even made it to the Knicks. But he was it was always important that like you know he be throwing throwing a ball at me while I wasn't looking to see if like my reactions and, and peripheral and all that stuff before I even knew what I was doing. It just as a kid, you thought it was just fun, you know, react and and do some cool stuff or like, you know, taught me how to hit dirty in a basketball game when the ref wasn't looking. I mean, I just thought it was all cool. So.
0: (laughs) And then you took that to the tennis court.
1: Yeah. I just haven't figured out how to do it to, to an opponent. Maybe uh, doubles. I'll just peg somebody. That's the easiest way.
0: That That is for sure. So, yeah. so that dexterity is where that two-hand backhand comes from, because I do say the backhand, your backhand, is one of the best I've ever seen. And it comes from being able to use your left hand on the left side, like just super crazy.
1: It was actually really difficult because I was so left-hand dominant that I couldn't figure out what to do with my right hand over here uh, uh-huh. on the backhand side and actually took a lefty um, tennis pro, which was Guy's brother, Harry, uh, to be like, are you left-handed? I was like, yeah, actually, I do a lot of things lefty. And he's like, well, why don't you just hit a lefty forehand with, and the right hand goes along for the ride. And I was like, cool, because I almost had a oney. I, I just, I was giving up on the two hander. I almost had a oney. <laughs>
0: So when did you realize you were good, right? Because you're playing multiple sports, probably decent at all of them. Like I remember when I went to um, high school, I went to a school named Whitney called Whitney Young. And on that team, we had like Dennis Gates, who's the coach of Missouri. We had Quentin Richardson, who had 16 years in the NBA, Cordell Henry, which was the point guard for Marquette. When Dwayne Wade was there, I think they went to the final four or Elite Eight or whatever it is. So basically with basketball tryouts, told me that I should go play tennis. So women just sort to have that like aha moment where it was like okay I should just like drop it and play tennis
1: yeah I I, it was a little bit of bad um, teammates and also playing in my first all-american game where I got to see other very good uh, women uh, basketball players and um, it was actually my grandfather who sat me down and he said you know I was 13 and or just 14 actually sorry and I said and he's like you know um it's time to kind of pick a sport you want to take seriously like I think you should sit quietly in a room and um you know I don't not to not to preach God onto anyone but you know if if you sit quietly enough you'll get an external voice that will tell you and kind of lead you into an avenue which might be advantageous and so I sat there quietly bored probably was like five minutes I don't know and just I just felt like tennis was it and I was not a good junior tennis player. I really didn't do well in tennis um, until I was probably like 14, 15 um, because I mean, one, I was playing a, a completely different sport at a high level, but it was also the way Guy Fritz taught was it wasn't so much about the now game of like winning 14 nationals or even 16 nationals. Like I didn't play clay courts ever. in in national events, I only played hard courts and I, I played 16s once and then played 18s two times as a uh, 15-year-old and as a 16-year-old. And uh, he was just more about endgame. If you're going to be a professional player, like, we're working on so many different things. The the serve, the serve volley, the learn how to hit a slice backhand. I mean, things that develop and, like, he would make me do it in matches, in junior matches. And I'd be struggling. Thank God there was no UTR when I was playing juniors because I...
0: Career I killer. so many
1: matches. That, <laughs> done. That, I wouldn't have made it.
0: That number is a career killer. It makes you focus so much on the now. It makes you duck matches.
1: Like, it, Listen, I was a consolation champ. I did not right. lose in <laughs> consolation. <laughs> I, I won for fear of death that if I lost twice in a tournament, good God, I was done. Right. And then also it was just like pride factor. I wasn't going to let these chicks beat me twice. and And yes. so that's, I mean, that's kind of it. it was just... And somehow it just clicked all all at once when um, I got I actually got called up. Richard Ashby, awesome man, uh, was my year coach at USTA. And unfortunately, but fortunately for me, I was not the top three best Americans for my age group. And it was uh, Junior Fed Cup in Italy, and it was Asia Muhammad, Lauren Embry, who had a great career at Florida, and Ali Will, who also played at Florida. Mm-hmm. And Allie Will hurt her ankle at Easter Bowl and I got called up for Allie and it just like clicked. I got to see international tennis. I traveled internationally for the first time and got to play on clay for the first time. And it was just so eye-opening and amazing. And I was just like, cool, this is what I want to do. And I I did well at 18 Nationals, won the consolation there and then just kept progressing and getting better and better. And somehow I won Junior U.S. Open for the first time at, at sixteen.
0: So you think about you. So when I think about Coco Vandewey, I say she, today she is the best American woman that I've ever seen play, not to win a slam. I but got a double needs- slam. double <laughs> slam, not to win a single <laughs> slam. And, and that counts, trust me. We're going to get to that too. Um, but I think of some of your magical slam runs, though. 2017 U.S. Open and then Wimbledon. Tell me about the 2017 U.S. Open, because that was a crazy Open. After there was four Americans in the semis. Uh, New York traffic, freaking crazy. Pat Cash was the code. Tell me about your <laughs> 2017 U.S. Open.
1: Yeah, I, I was going into 2017 U.S. Open. I'd finaled Stanford, lo- losing the Madison Keys, um, won doubles. I was just winning everything or at least finaling most everything leading into Stanford. And I'd already semi Australian Open, losing to Venus, and then I went on to go into the u s Open with so much confidence of just like, this is my moment, this is my time, like you know i i'll I'll get this done, And I almost lost first round at alley risk. so it was not I barely squeaked that out in three sets.
0: it always but happens each, that way
1: it it's it was. I was so pissed and Pat was like pissed at me about my attitude out there on the court. And Ali always gave me fits. She makes a lot of balls and like just is tenacious enough to just drive you up a wall. And I keep going, I keep going and I get to the semis and I, and I'm playing mass and keys and I'd lost to her twice already at the U S open series, once at Stanford and once at Cincinnati. I'm like, no, I'm not getting beat three times. I'm not getting beat three times. Like there's no freaking way. And then I also knew that um, it was because we played the second night match that Sloan had beaten Venus. And I was like, if I get my shot against Sloan, like I got a good opportunity here because I won a lot of matches against Sloan and we've had close matches if if either way, if I won or lost. And I was like, I'll have a good shot, but I got to get through Madison. And she's always been tough for me because she just can blitz you right off the court. And there's very few players that can do that to me. Um and she played absolute nights out lights out. I was stuck in like four hours of traffic coming into the, to the um, site. And it was just probably like the worst preparations of like nerves, anxiety of like, am I even going to make this match on time? Thank God I was playing like second match. And it's just one of those things that just nothing went my way. And she absolutely spanked me for, for good hour, 15 minutes.
0: Right, <laughs> I remember that it was like uh, Coco's lay for her warm up. I'm like, Lay for her warm-up in the semis at you has open. like how did it, it was
1: it was not anticipated like we were <laughs> stuck in so much traffic my physio julian who was riding with me because pat was already there because he was doing commentary or, or something he was just doing pat cash things and and i he's like we were stuck in traffic for so long like we had to pull over at a mcdonald's because we both had to go to the bathroom so bad like that's <laughs> it was just Obscene, obscene amount of traffic, but you know it's part of part of the game. It's part of how things turn out and and how things get together. And you know Madison played an unbelievable match, and then you know you got you got your grand slam with Sloan.
0: So I, know. I happens was for praying a for you to lose. I was <laughs> praying for you to lose. Just just uh-huh. you know, sorry, love you to death. However, <laughs> you you were a bad matchup at the time for us. I was like, please, let me lose. I, I would not even leave the site until I saw. It made sure that you were going home. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) now, Wimbledon, because that for sure, that year I thought for sure you were going to get it. You look at, like, your performances against Mugu. You always play her well. You play Venus well. Tell me about that year.
1: Yeah, I was was actually going into that tournament. I hadn't hit a ball um, leading into Wimbledon because I had injured my foot for the first time. And I got it shot up, so I didn't hit a ball for, like, three days before the event. Pulled out of Eastbourne. Um, I lost early at her which was – I was two-time defending champion. So I had, like, a really terrible lead-in to um, Wimbledon. I think I semi Birmingham or something or quartered. And I I hurt my foot in that match, and I was like, cool, got it shot up. He's like, you can't do anything for the next couple days. So I literally sat on the couch in Wimbledon Village and, like – Pat was like let's make sure no one sees you like we don't need anyone knowing that you're hurt I'm like okay sure <laughs> I literally go in the day before hit indoors because I didn't want to hit on the grass right. um, just to make sure my foot was like on stable footing and, and so I didn't even have a hit for a week on grass until I played my first round at Wimbledon and I just you know smoked through everybody it was just one of those tournaments where it was just like maybe I had a close first set, maybe a close second set, but the next set was just like 6-1, 6-2. Like no one could touch my serve. I was like locked into everyone's return, my return games. And it was just rolling. And at some point in time, I just looked at the draw and and saw the opportunity in front of me of Muguruza, who I I own in a way, like I have a very good record, never lost her on grass and Venus, which I was like, I want that revenge from, from Australian Open. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I was up a set on her at Australia, just wasn't focusing on finishing. I was like, man, I could be in a finals playing Serena. Like, how cool would that be? And then I was like, okay, you know, what, if I just get to the, to the semis, like, I'm good. I, and I didn't even think about my quarterfinal opponent. And you know what? My <laughs> quarterfinal opponent just took me a little bit. Ribeira Colvin.
0: and, and Colba, that was like the, most, the best only- in of her life
1: only did well on grass like grass court player like held and defended points at grass like nobody's business and she she just junked me to death but I did have a good line at the umpire because we got moved to center court off of court one and I thought that her overrule on the challenge that I didn't have a play on the ball was baloney so like I got to say baloney to, in front of everybody on Wimbledon center court because I wasn't going to take the fine for cursing and saying it was bull I was like that's such baloney! Like you got to be kidding me! Like this, I had to play on the ball. is baloney, and like right. it was just repeat, repeat, repeat.
0: <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, I remember that match. She was, she was, she was tough. That yeah, Rabiya cover was tough. I mean, she was chopping. I think she retired
1: like the next tournament. Like that's as good as I'm gonna do. I made, I made semis at Wimbledon. Like that's it. That's all I got.
0: So, talk about getting to say what you want to say. I remember we were in Zhuhai. and it's the WTA elite which is like not WTA finals but those who don't make the finals you know just barely don't make the cut you go to what's called WTA elite it ends in Zhuhai uh maybe not the most desirable place but whatever so player party happens just the whole thing you walk around with a shirt that says I'm just here so I don't get fined and then I I I
1: I, I kept it well I did but I didn't (laughs) <laughs> so it's a long story I actually got a lot of people in trouble and it's why actually we were able to get the Hologic deal because they'd seen that I kind of talked out against China in a way I was not a China fan I didn't like going to China I was I've always been burnt out after US Open I mean for Americans it's like this is a creme de la creme like we've hit us open like what's after and there's huge tournaments after you got beijing you got wuhan Zhuhai. and the only reason i kept playing was we were in the fed cup final that year and playing for my country has always been like my biggest honor and biggest goal in tennis period and so i, I kept i told my agent i was like pull me out of zuhai don't want to play it and she's like you'll get fined and i was like for what not wanting to play a tournament that's a year it's a fake year in championship for everyone who <laughs> didn't make it like for what and it's like yeah well I mean it's guaranteed money and this I was like I don't care like I don't want to go back to China I'd just been in Moscow I'd already gone to China for a month like I was over it and she's like I know like let me tell you the number you're gonna get fined. and I, once I heard that I was like I'll be on the first flight to Zuhai, however the heck I gotta get there, and let's go. <laughs> I was so pissed. I was hanging out at the the fun place, which was the bar uh, with all the Australians every night just to get some entertainment. Zuhai had just gotten hit by a hurricane, so I couldn't even like go our hotel was like in shambles I was like there. things were falling. yeah, things were falling from the ceiling, and like it was wild and uh. I hated my time there the whole time and as things go, I made it to the final and almost won the damn thing. So
0: <laughs> I was about to say, so you open up the tournament with a t-shirt. Literally you came downstairs with that shirt. And we're like, is she serious?
1: Yeah. Is she gonna wear it? Yeah.
0: like wearing it to the player party. And it was like it's,
1: it's still in my closet. I just gotta get the the frame out so the WTA sends you like an email. And like a list of how much money you've just been fined, the reason behind it, the tournament, the date, you know, yada, yada, yada. I want to frame it, frame the shirt when I retire and just have it hanging here in the office. Because <laughs> the fine was so egregious. And I was like, I literally sat down to whoever was running. The, we have supervisors that run the tournament. And I said, if you find me this amount of money, like for my freedom of speech of putting it on my social media, wearing it on my body, like, that's not cool where I come from in, in the U S we have freedom of speech. Like you could, if you find me, I will sue the hell out of you. Good luck. Like that's <laughs> how like stiffer and bitter I was about being in zoo high. I didn't want to <laughs> be there. <laughs> so luckily Marshawn Lynch had just done the Super Bowl and had been, you know, I'm just here. So I don't get fined. And I was like, I'm just drawing inspiration from that. Like, you know, <laughs> give me the Skittle sponsorship, actually got some free stuff from Marshawn after that.
0: (laughs) His mom like
1: saw it on Twitter or something. So it was was all in good fun, but some people take it too seriously, which I've never been that type. I've always been pushing the boundaries until I get told no and still pushing it further.
0: Oh man. So how'd that connect to the Hologic deal?
1: Um, Well, so Hologic wanted to support um, the WTA and pulling out of China and Mickey Lauer, told the story about, you know, how I kind of spearheaded some sort of uh, you know, uh fighting spirit against China. And and I act uh Kyle actually put together the deal for the WTA because he knows Steve Macmillan really well and still hang out with him all the time. So it's it's kind of just went yin and yang together. Mm.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So you've had some famous coaches and I swear you must. I mean, they're all great tennis minds, but they're all very similar personality. So your criteria must be personality first coaching second let me see if you can actually coach but first (laughs) you you fit like the profile you fit like the personality profile so we'll go Craig Carton Pat Cash and now Luke Jensen which Luke makes sense because you are both the ambidextrous you all can both serve with both hands you know you both like
1: like if anyone YouTubes Luke serving with both hands like it's the craziest thing that he can do it so well and so naturally on both both ends but personality is a big thing for me because you travel the world with someone this place is boring like (laughs) most people you don't like I mean at least when I was traveling like I had very few people I'd like to spend time with so I needed to make sure I liked spending time with my team which was my coaches I grew up in a team atmosphere family where it's like you know basketball you got your teammates and you know volleyball swimming you got your teammates and for me being alone was awful I hated being alone and having that feeling of like I have no support like my teammates don't have my back so that was always been a big thing for me to have that foundational support within my coaches number one of like even if I might crash the car someone better be pointing at somebody else and say it was their fault and that (laughs) better be my coach you know (laughs) and loyalty is huge and those and all three of those guys have brought immense loyalty to me and and you know, a little tennis along the way and a lot of trash talking. And, you know, it's, it's always been, been fun and, and a great adventure with, with all three of those guys.
0: So give me a good Craig card story. I've got, I've got good <laughs> stories about all three. I had Pat Cash on there a year ago. So Craig Card and I often see each other at the bar.
1: This one was wild. We were in Madrid. And I was in my room getting treatment for my physio, Julian. And Craig always, uh, because he couldn't nap, I mean, the guy couldn't nap and in Madrid, nothing opens till ten eleven p m So like I'm getting treatment done. I was totally planning on like crushing a nap before dinner, and I got the blinds open in my room, and I see Craig like walking walking down the street so it's and it's like a big bay window, and we see like this girl woman that that looks like a woman of the night, like just happened to come out at the at out of a door like near where he was walking down the street so we're like banging on my window to get his attention we're like we see you that's what you're doing on your walks like you're going to see and he's like he like looks around he sees the girl he's like no no like just starts like bolting it and it just became the running joke of like the whole Madrid tournament uh that was that was one of my favorite like pranks on on Craig that, that we managed to like accidentally pull it was great.
0: Uh... And Pat Cash, crazy guy I mean so
1: so pat Pat's really into yoga and like other other different like healing and and uh different things, which I think is cool. I mean, you take what you want and throw away what you don't want, and what Pat does, which I find still to this day I would give him crap about it, he does yoga anywhere, like we I have videos like on my phone still of like on the sidewalks in New York, and he's just like crushing out a stretch and yoga and it's so <laughs> awkward and out of place that it never never makes sense and the it's it's like it'll be like dead ass in the middle of the sidewalk people are walking around him and and he's just you know knocking out like a cat dog in the middle of the sidewalk i'm like Dude, this is nuts <laughs> like i can't I, and but it's it's great because I can I can give these guys some crap about it, and they can take it and laugh, and you know they still do it, and it's just it goes along with the tour, the traveling so my circus. Cash,
0: he was in the gym working out, and he comes in the in the uh, cafeteria with a bag of pills, and I'm like, what is he doing? It's like a bag of vitamins. I'm like, this dude is crazy. I'm like, what is he like? It can't be he can't be that sick and have that many conditions where he needs that many pills. <laughs> I'm in a Ziploc bag. I'm like, it's like taking drugs. And then, like and then, which,
1: one, where, which ones are which? Like, they all look like the same color too. Yeah, that, that okay. bag of pills was was really, I asked him a couple times what it all was and because he likes the, it's like different kinds of doctors and medicine. It's just all sorts of random stuff. I don't know. I mean, he's ripped and shredded, so.
0: It, it is. Working. I mean, for his age, he's in there like pushing the players out the way, trying to get on the machine. <laughs> like, you know? You know you're not playing anymore, right? You know you
1: like <laughs> my, my hitting partners used to hate uh when Pat was there at tournaments because he didn't travel every week, but when he was there, when I would sit and have water, he would make them hit with him. So he'd still have his rhythm and timing <laughs> and like he it was it was comical, comical. Like Fed Cup when we were in Belarus, I mean he was making anyone and everyone hit with him while like I would go grab water and like <laughs> just we'd sit there and just be like, Oh <laughs> you Take all the court time. You got it. It's yours. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and Luke Jensen, who is the biggest coaching bluff. In <laughs> so a world team tennis at the Greenbrier and the Chicago Smash are spanking you all. Right, we're up by like what six games or something going into the women's doubles. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and you like smoked Jack. which in world team tennis like you can't let that happen a 5-0 is like a death sentence
0: oh you know it's all strategic so it was like all right (laughs) jack's a little bit overweight right now i know he's gonna be out at the bar so let's make jack play three matches in a row so we play men's doubles mixed doubles and then let him play the young boy B not in singles yeah i was like it worked because you push him i think they kind of whooped our butt in um Men's well,
1: he doubles. was going to, he's one of the best doubles players there is. Ever. So, I mean, it's, it's going to happen. But, I mean, definitely wore him down by the time singles came. Like, he was cramping. Was and tough. we had TV timeouts. So, like, longer than normal timeouts and everything could have gone his way. But he just got smoked in, I mean, humid as heck in West Virginia, middle of the day. Like, it was, it was tough.
0: It was tough. So then we, then we got, we got the women's doubles and it's like Bethany, I think, genie and then uh we subbed genie out which i was like maybe i did the wrong thing and i put sloan in in my play so yeah that i
1: thought was weird because like genie wasn't playing bad i mean it was just like you were playing you know so
0: tight she was getting (laughs) so tight i mean like literally
1: there's there's two moments in my whole career that I've ever been more nervous and it's my first point at the Olympics and playing world team tennis. That's, right. I have never been more nervous in my life. So, so I understand G- how Jeannie was feeling.
0: Oh my God. So we're like whooping y'all down. And then Luke just starts bluffing running around, slapping five to the crowd with his wooden rack. I was like, he is so annoying if he don't just shut up and let <laughs> us win this money. Right. Running around, he's pumping you guys up. I'm like, he's a total. You guys,
1: if you won this finals, you got a hundred grand per person. Like this was this was a thing you gotta do. Oh, I'm well aware.
0: Well aware. We were dead. (laughs) Yeah. So then Sloan comes in, actually makes a couple first serves. Like we were down three points, came in, make like three first serves in a row, match point. Said, all right. So she served to you guys down a match point to the forehand. And you guys
1: ace me. Ace me unreturnable.
0: I mean like big because Sloan doesn't serve big. Like for her to get an ace at that point in the match, I was like, okay, that's some balls, right?
1: Why, why i wasn't covering my forehand anyway and just being like you can serve in my backhand as much as you want if you get the <laughs> flatty out wide like that's that's all good
0: so, there's, but, uh, yeah. so so match point sudden death for the whole damn season right it was like all right so same serve sloan same so this one didn't quite curl enough like her forehand returns trash coco's forehand return is trash serve there again <laughs> like bethany stay right there i swear i said bethany stay right there She can only take it line. She can't go cross on this return.
1: And you know what I saw? Because I, Nicole Malachar, who's an accomplished doubles player, she's like, you want me to take it? And I was like, Nicole, get your ass up at the net and don't freaking move. Like, (laughs) do not, she's like, you want me to cross? I was like, do not move. Like, (laughs) do not move. And so I was like, I'm sitting there, I'm toweling down. I got Kim, you know, hyping me up. And I'm like, okay, you know, I mean, Kim Kly just hyped me up. I gotta do something and and like I didn't even like blank stare, like no clue. It was like end all, be all, sudden death, yada, yada, yada. And the best thing that happened was I saw Bethany leave the net and go cross. Way and early. And I was like, I was like, thank you. Slap the crap out of that forehand, made it like back edge of the line. I thought like I hit it and I didn't hear anything, but I also heard like cheering and I didn't know which way the cheering was going so I didn't know like <laughs> if the Hawkeye called it out or like God knows a chair umpire comes out of nowhere where they didn't even make calls but he calls it out and I'm just like what's happened? Did we win? You <laughs> challenge it and I, I hey I mean
0: Come Hawkeye on. doesn't
1: lie. Hawkeye doesn't lie. That, so, it's 99.9% correct.
0: Is, but, but there was also a storm the night before. <laughs> <laughs> that, that blew the whole stadium apart, and they didn't recount. So, so it blew every. See, my, my
1: version of the story, it's just it doesn't that doesn't happen in my version of the story. I, it's of your version. You know. It can. Like
0: <laughs> well, let me just say this: if you have a tent that is held down by concrete boulders, like right? as you do, you, you know tents are held down by boulders; they don't move. And the tents move with the boulders. Those cameras probably moved as well, so they should. I mean, it was COVID.
1: COVID. Anything could have happened in COVID. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, whatever. So the luckiest forehand, I, I will like forever remember. I mean, it was everything served there. She's going here. Bethany, stay right there. Literally, it was like, could not have called it better. And I still have nightmares because I definitely couldn't use a hundred grand.
1: I mean, I, I I spent it wisely. I got myself, you know, a car. I thought it was cool. You got the I Tesla? Got, I got it wrapped, I, you know. Yeah, I, I, saw just,
0: I, uh, <laughs> I saw you driving down the highway in a, in a matte black or matte silver Tesla. I was like- Matte silver, yeah. I was like, that's definitely Coco. She thinks she's the coolest chick. Yeah, every
1: life. time you see that, just, I should put World Team Tennis on like the <laughs> side or the license plate or something. Because, you know, that's that's what got me that car.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, it is always fun. Uh, the tour misses you. We are happy you're gonna be back. We look forward to seeing you at the French. Yep. Uh we won't tell the world that if they serve forehand, you're probably going live. <laughs> on the Especially ad on side.
1: Especially on the ad side. Right, right. <laughs> on the ad side. <laughs> uh,
0: but always rooting for you. Always love you. If I am at the French, I'll meet you at the bar. We'll talk some smack. We'll share some stories. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Uh,
0: this has been the tennis.com podcast with two to three-time Grand Slam semifinalist and Grand Slam mixed champion.
1: No, Finalist. just regular, no, just, just regular.
0: Does yeah. regular doubles champion, Uh Coco Vanderway. Thanks for listening.
1: Thanks, Mel.